looking around now as we get started this morning. Before we get started this morning, let's have a prayer. Any prayer requests or updates or announcements that need to be made? I don't see any hands. All right, let's, uh, let's start off with a word of prayer. Let's bow together, please. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for another first day of the week that we can gather together as a family. And Lord, we are blessed to be able to assemble together without fear of persecution or problems here. And Lord, we're thankful for such a wonderful building that we can meet together here as a group of saints at the Dalreda congregation. And Lord, we are thankful for our leadership. We're thankful for our elders that lead us here at Dalreda. Lord, please bless them and continue to uh, encourage them to uh, lead us in the ways that are faithful to you and your word. Lord, we ask that you be with those that are sick and those that have lost loved ones. We especially ask you to be with uh, Jill Johnson and her family and the loss of her mother this last week. And Lord, we ask that you continue to watch over them, bless them, encourage them during this time. Lord, we ask you to be with the Hillier family as well as they've lost Brother Donnie. And Lord, we know that we have wonderful hope if we die in the Lord, and Lord, we, we pray and we, we hope that we can gain great confidence and assurance and comfort from knowing that we have such a wonderful hope if we die being faithful to you. Lord, we ask that you please watch over us during this Bible study time, this period that we continue to study the miracles of your son Christ as he walked on the earth. And Lord, we ask that you be with us as we open up your word and and hopefully find some lessons that challenge us and encourage us and make us to want to be better Christians and better followers and disciples of you. Lord, more than anything, we are thankful for Jesus. And we're thankful for his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And it's through his blessed name we pray. Amen. If you haven't gotten a handout yet, be patient. You may want to raise your hand just to let them know. But I, Joel and Chris are coming around. We Thankful to have the prime timers, uh, some prime timers in here. I know that uh, Terry's out of town. Doug was supposed to try and, and, and help him, I think, with that, but Doug double booked himself and he was supposed to be going out of town with Mallory. So if the prime timers were wondering why you don't have class, that's why. Uh, they weren't able to uh, get someone to cover in such short notice. But uh, we uh, are going through the miracles, as you know. We've gone through several. We very rarely get done with lessons, of course. That's why I give you handouts so you can go home and study on them more and encourage you to, to keep going through. My wife asked me yesterday if I could just pick up, you know, with the last lesson. I said, if I keep doing that, I'm never going to get done with these, uh, these miracles. So hopefully you all are taking these home and trying to take some of the lessons to heart, studying a little bit more on your own possibly as we go through these, at least thinking about them, I hope, as we've gone through these last several lessons. Last week, of course, we dealt with more of the demon possession, and this week I want to get into leprosy. And so there's a couple of uh, miracles that the Lord performed dealing with uh, leprosy. And uh, I entitled it Thankfulness from Leprosy, which I think is a very interesting title. Uh, when you think about being leprous, uh, that's th- being thankful is not one of the things you're usually thinking about when you study and think about what leprosy was and is. And so as we go through this lesson, obviously I want to encourage you to think about true thankfulness. And you kind of see the subtitle of the lesson is Remembering to be Thankful All the Time. And I want to encourage you that we take away from this lesson, of course, is an act of not just faithfulness, but thankfulness in the face of all the trials and tribulations we may have in our own lives even today. There's the application that you're going to see that we're going to try and move forward 
and go toward. Thank you, Chris. I'll take that. Um, and, uh, you know, as you, as you consider these miracles, consider what applications we can have even in our lives today. Primarily, those app, they, were, they were applicable not to us. They were applicable to the, that time period. You've got to understand contextually, that's what the miracles are all for. John himself said, these things I tell you about, these signs and wonders. Why? So that you may believe. And so the idea and concept of writing them down, of course, is to instill belief in us today and faith in us today. But primarily, at that time when the miracles were first brought about and first performed, they were miracles that were done in order to try and encourage the people then to believe and to have faith and to know who Christ was and what he's capable of doing and being. And so the miracles in the, uh, that are listed in the New Testament are those which I think remind us, as we said in our first lesson, that Christ had power and Christ had authority to do and, and say and be what he claimed to be. And so that's what the miracles kind of substantiate. They built that foundation in the early, the early church they built that foundation even before the early church came about of Christ having that authority and having that power so that those who were listening to him knew that he wasn't just somebody who could perform some neat tricks. He wasn't someone who just had some great innovative ideas and philosophies and spiritual applications. He wasn't someone with just superior knowledge of the Mosaic law. He was someone to listen to because he had power and he had authority. And these lessons and these miracles that we have uh, studying the day are really no different than that in our own lives as well. They are nothing that, um, that takes away and detracts from what, in fact, um, Christ tried to prove that day. Uh, it continues to, to lay the foundations for us today as we read the inspired word itself. These gospel accounts, they are primary to our faith. If we don't know who Christ is, how can we ever believe in him? If we can't believe in him, how can we rely upon him? How can we know that his authority, in fact, is important to underscore and to follow in our own lives even today? So you see the foundations laid in the gospel accounts. And really the foundation was laid for the gospel accounts and the miracles, the signs, and the wonders that Christ performed because everybody was then able to see that Christ was indeed someone different. He was someone special. And in fact, he was the Son of God. And that's what you see in the uh, miracles uh, here that we've been studying this quarter. Look with me. There's two different miracles that I want to look at here. First of all, the healing of the leper uh, is found in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. There are parallel accounts in Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 5. As you see the account of, of Christ healing the single leper. Now, I say single leper, that kind of sounds like a, almost sounds like an animal, honestly. But uh, it's not. It's just an individual, one single uh, person who was uh, cursed with leprosy. I want to look at this account, and then of course I want to look at the account of healing of the ten lepers, which honestly I think most of us, our minds go more toward when you think of healing of those that, have, that dealt with leprosy in the miracles of Christ. But these are the two main accounts that, that are uh, healing of miracles in the New Testament of those that dealt with leprosy. Uh, there are some accounts, of course, in the Old Testament that God healed some that were cursed with leprosy. But in the New Testament account, these are the ones and these are the miracles of Christ when he performed uh, healing uh, and showing his power over the disease we uh, know being called leprosy. Look with me, Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, employing him, kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. And he said to him, I will be clean. 
And immediately the, the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, quickly, as you think about this uh, brief little snippet of a miracle, you see a couple different points I want to point out to you about this before we move into more of the overarching lessons that you see. Uh, one of the things you understand and say, of course, he was cursed with leprosy. I want to get into that a little deeper in a moment. So I want to kind of just go on from that point to the next point. Of course, you see the, the reaction of Christ in this miracle. That Christ was, it says, moved with pity. Verse 41, some verses say moved with compassion or he felt compassion toward him. And so you see there the reaction of Christ, the reaction that I think that we have seen in several other miracles. Uh, it's a very common reaction that Christ had whenever he met those that were in need, those that were sick, those that had lost loved ones. We haven't gotten to the raising of the dead yet in the miracles, uh, but you'll see that as well whenever he felt compassion. And in fact, that one emotional two-word verse that we all know, we all like to memorize, John chapter 6, right? What does it say? Jesus' reaction to Lazarus was what? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. You see that reaction that Christ had when he saw people, saw individuals. He saw humanity that was dealing with something that was beyond their somewhat control in all reality. Uh, you can't control necessarily whenever you were, received a disease or whenever your loved one uh, was suffering, was sick. Your loved one had died. And in fact, you see really Christ's humanity coming forth. And you see kind of, I believe, a parallel when you get into why we are created in God's image and, and how that, what kind of parallel you can see of, of how do we emulate God. Well, here's, a, here's a, a way that I believe we emulate God. Is this, this idea that we have compassion toward one another, this love, this care, this concern that we have toward one another is something that God has himself. To us, and you see Christ's reaction here. He can, he cared about them. He 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 felt pity. He felt compassion. He stretched out his hand and he touched him. Now, if you remember a couple of lessons back, we dealt with some of the miracles where Jesus actually touched those who were in need of healing and His power. And the idea of that personal connection. This wasn't one I threw in there for the very reason I wanted to group it with the ten lepers. But this, I believe, is an example more so than some of those other ones. Why? Because leprosy was more than likely a disease that was communicable by touch. It was very possible, depending on what leprosy is, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And there's a little insert in your handout talking about leprosy. We don't, bottom line, we don't exactly know what leprosy of the Bible was compared to today's diseases. We know what it can do. We know what the Old Testament described it to be. Uh, but the idea of it being communicable through touch was very possible. So Jesus himself here disregarded any kind of danger that he might have thought he had facing himself as a human. You really remember, this is God in flesh. Uh, Jesus was just like us, human blood, human flesh. You know, he could suffer same diseases we could suffer from. So here he put himself possibly in harm's way. Why? He touched the leper. He touched him. Now, of course, we know there was no... There was no real concern, and Christ knew there would be no concern because he was going to heal the man. But those around him, those that viewed him, those that, even the leper himself that came to him, I would say reacted in a way because Jesus showed his love and compassion, not just by his words, but by his deeds as he reached out and he touched him. And you see 
of course, the reaction there. Christ said, I will, meaning I have that, uh, that desire. I have that want to, so to speak. I will. I have that um, intent to make you whole again. And then he says, be clean. Of course, immediately, the leprosy is gone. And so you see the reaction of Christ by words, by touch, and then ultimately by the effect that he had there. Immediately leprosy left him. He was made clean. Then Jesus gave him a stern rebuke. We don't have time to get into so much of this. I think it's very interesting. Several miracles have this same rebuke by Christ to those that were the victims or those that were the recipients of his miraculous healing. And in fact, what Christ says is, hey, don't go tell people about this. You and I probably look around and say, well, why in the world would Christ not want these people going out and teaching and preaching this wonderful news? Well, there's a reason behind it. And you see really the effect of him going out and disregarding the Lord's command here. It's not necessarily that it was a commandment to hide who Christ was, to hide what Christ was able to do. But you see the impact of whenever he actually went out and started telling others about this, Christ couldn't even enter into the cities anymore. And in effect, it actually stymied, it prevented his uh, ministry. And so Christ, really here, I believe, what you look at is the reason why Christ was telling them not to say it is because that time wasn't there yet. He wasn't wanting to be some public spectacle just yet. And that, that was not the, the time, and there's some other phrasing used in some of the other miracles of saying, you know, the, the time is not nigh yet. It's not here. It's not my time yet. And so you see Christ trying to obviously show compassion and pity and love to those who were afflicted in need of his healing. But on the other respect, too, he knew he had a purpose. He had more things to do, and he didn't want that hindered because he was being uh, pretty much amassed by all kinds of the multitudes, which you see that happening. And it's the direct result of, of people like the leper here who go out and teach and talk about what Christ did for them. Is it necessarily a wrong thing to talk about what Christ did for you? No, it's not at all. I don't think it's anything wrong today. Uh, sometimes we talk about it in the religious world as well. Some people get up and give them their testimonials. I think that there's a place and time for them. I don't think we just need to get up and have some emotional response all the time because our response to God should be logical, methodical, and reasoning. And it's a reasonable response. It's not an emotional response uh, for what we do. But is there anything wrong with us telling our experiences? I would think not. I think it's good for us to tell others that we were sinners and Christ died for us so that we are now saved. There's nothing wrong with giving testimonials, and that's really what he's doing here, but he's doing it at the wrong time. And I think that's very parallel to sometimes what we see around us in the world today. Uh, some, even those members of the church uh, have gone to this emotional appeal and trying to, to try and say and, and, and convey experiences and emotions over reasoning and logic and words and instruction and commandments. And when you start swapping and interchanging those, you find yourself in a bad, bad place. Why? Because it's not the time. It's not the place. It's not the proper the time period for those things to be done. Robert.
Great point. Great point. The idea of us trying to know the mind of God, knowing the mind of Christ, is so distorted and perverted, even in today's world. And we try to, I think, put ourselves in that position, which, let me tell you, you start trying to say this is what God said when God didn't say it, or this is what God means, or this is what God wants, when God doesn't put that out there in clear view for us, you're, you're stepping on, I think, dangerous and deadly ground. And I think you're right, Robert. Here you, you got an idea of an individual who probably had good intentions, had good motivations. He wanted to spread the good news about what happened to him. He didn't understand that when God said don't do it, he meant don't do it. And when Jesus said, hey, don't talk about it at this point in time, instead of him listening to him, instead of him trying to you know, obey, in essence, here, he, he did what he wanted to do. And I think you're right whenever you compare it to even us today. I think it's a good point when you think about, you know, a lot of times you'll hear, well, you know, I don't understand why God doesn't like this, or I don't understand why God doesn't want this. And it could apply to a lot of different things, fill in the blank, um, you know, when you deal with, with things in this world. The bottom line is we don't have to understand why God doesn't want this or why God doesn't want that. It's a matter of what God has told us to do. We don't add, we don't take away from that. You see that principle throughout the, the scriptures. I think you see it even here with respect to the response of this leper. This poor leper, really, I mean, he's healed physically, but he just forgets the spiritual. That's what it is, bottom line, is his focus is on the fact he's been healed physically, and he's wanting to go out there and share with everybody how he got healed physically. He forgets about the deeper meaning, and he really doesn't understand or know the deeper meaning of the, the bigger picture. That, that God in Christ... They have a, a plan, a strategy. And in fact, you're, I think you're right. He very well could have thwarted some people coming and listening and hearing the word from Jesus because of his actions here. It's not something that I think that we look on and, and condone. And I think you see the reaction of Christ here as a negative reaction to what the leper had done. Uh, sometimes we think and equate, I think, the healing process with, with the forgiving process. In these miracles. And in fact, that's not the case, I don't believe, all the time. There are some times where it says your sins are forgiven. When Christ says that to you. And I think when you come back and we talk about the ten lepers, hopefully in a moment here, that you're going to see that there's a difference there with respect to that one leper that comes back and is thankful to Christ. You see a difference there. Uh, But here, the leper, I believe that you see here in Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 8, Luke chapter 5, those parallel passages here, did not get the bigger picture and in fact, he disobeyed what Christ had told him to do and uh, did not fulfill those things which Christ wanted or intended. You can kind of see where humans can jump in the way and really kind of mess up the plan. You know, we kind of make some bad decisions. And unfortunately, that can have some, some disastrous effects possibly on others. Chris? What you think, too, is probably just trying to get him to develop some sort of discipline. He didn't, teach, he didn't tell him to go preach. He just told him not to say anything. Right. I don't think that's a bad way to take it either. Yeah, there is. This is not a, a hard thing to do, people. I mean, Jesus says, don't go talk about it. Now, if a man who had his supernatural abilities and powers just healed you automatically, instantaneously of this horrible skin disease that you had plaguing your body, and he says, hey, don't go tell people about it. Just go show yourself to the priest. Now, if you think about that, obviously word's going to get out. 
I mean, right? I mean, we all know word's going to get out on the street. You know, and again, as being a prosecutor, word on the street's pretty important sometimes in solving crimes. You'd be amazed what happens about word on the street and how many reports from police that say, well, word on the street was this. And so we followed up on this lead and blah, 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 and we're able to close the case. Very interestingly, you think here in this situation, when Christ went to the priest, do you think that really on honesty, when this man starts showing up to worship assemblies or to the, the, you know, the things that are required from the Jewish people, he starts living again among the people that people aren't going to realize, wait a second here, you had leprosy yesterday. No. So it's going to happen. People are going to understand. People are going to know what it was. Christ wanted to curtail it, I believe, and kind of step it back as much as he could. To make this man understand, really, again, this goes back to his authority. Did he respect the authority of Christ? And no, he did not. Why? Because he disobeyed him. He disobeyed him. And then because he disobeyed Christ, it caused repercussions. Now, was it disastrous? No. Christ was able to still teach and preach, and he still went around. Unfortunately, the masses and the multitudes who really had some, I think, bogus conceptions about who Christ was, ended up, I think, causing issues for maybe people who were truly seeking who were true believers. But here what you see is Christ trying to, to limit and to maybe discipline him into the mindset of, I've got the power, I've got the authority, I've got the control. Please, please do what I say. And unfortunately, he did not do those things to him. What's in, I mean, the, the instruction there for him to go and tell the priest is a fulfillment of the commandment of the Jews. And so you also see Christ here. He's not saying, hey... Don't abide by the Jewish law anymore. He's not saying, hey, a Mosaic law is already out the window. He's not at all. In fact, he corroborates, he substantiates, he, he undergirds the importance of it because not only does he heal him, but he says, go and fulfill those things which Moses commanded you to do. And so there's a respect there for the authority of God and his word and those things which have been previously written for this man to follow. And honestly here... It says, he, but he went out and began to talk freely. We have no indication that he even went to the priest, to be honest with you. Now, did he? I don't know. I would hope so. I think you ultimately would have to not to be ostracized anymore when you look at the old law. Uh, it would be kind of difficult. But we don't even have any, any, any information that he actually obeyed that principle. Let's move on. I don't have time to keep going about that one. I want to get to the ten lepers. I like the ten lepers a lot better. It's only really in one account in Luke chapter 17, but it's a story that many of us know. Look with me. Luke chapter 17 verses 11 through 19. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing uh, between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifting up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And when they were cleansed, and as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, a couple quick points before we get into any other discussion on these overarching um, ideas of the faithfulness and the, the uh, thankfulness that we see in these passages and these two uh, miracles here. As you look at this, obviously, we are pretty familiar, I think, for the most part, if you've, you've been in Sunday school at all, about the, the healing of the ten lepers. Ten come, all ten are healed. 
One returns, says thanks to God, thanks to Jesus, <coughs> bows down in thankfulness. He praises God. You see a, a fairly simple story here. There's a couple of points I want to make, though, as you kind of dissect the story a little bit. First of all, they were not immediately healed. Unlike the, the other leper story that we, we spoke about already this morning, you see here that Christ actually commands them to do something, and upon their obedience of that action, that's when they are healed. I think that's very interesting when you think about that. Compare that with us in our lives. What are we supposed to do to be healed? It's not just faith alone. It's not just words alone. In fact, God commands action, and until we take action and obey those things which he said, we are not cleansed from our sins. Very similar here to this lepers. These lepers. If those lepers had stood still expecting Christ to automatically heal them, would they have been healed? I would say no. When you look at this passage of Scripture. Now, could they have been? Did Christ have the power? Yes, he had the power. There's no doubt Christ had the power to heal them automatically, instantaneously. He could have touched them, or like other parables, I mean, other miracles that we've seen. There I go again, same parables instead of miracles. Other miracles we've seen, Christ could have just spoken the words at a distance. He doesn't have to touch them. His power and his authority is not confined to some area or proximity or location or, or distance. What you see here is that these individuals were required to obey before they were cleansed. And that's, in fact, what you see in the scripture here. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, they turned around going to the priest still sick with leprosy. They still suffered from this leprous disease. When they turned and went, though, as they turned and walked toward going to the priest, that's when they were healed. Their obedience, through their faithfulness, allowed their salvation. Think about that parallel. Those of our friends in the religious world, those in denominations that think that, you know, that you can be saved just by faith alone. Well, these lepers weren't even saved by faith alone. In fact, you see, when Christ gives them a command, he expected them to follow the command in order to attain their salvation. That's a good example, I think, for us today. But in this specific principle here, you see that these individuals followed what Christ said and they were physically healed. Now, once they were physically healed, you see one had a full recognition as to what occurred in his life. And that one turned, it said, turned back. He did not go to the priest yet. He turned back. It's kind of like, I, in my mind, I just kind of have him kind of stopping in his steps, realizing that he has been healed because he had started walking to the priest and he turned back. And I love the fact, the idea of turning back. What is that reminiscent to us as Christians think about? The idea of repentance. The idea of turning life and turning our lives around. And this individual here already had a turned around heart, in my opinion. He had already, you see what, what was going on in his mind because of his thankfulness and his attitude. Uh, as I was doing research, you know, a, lot of, a lot of people like to call this the attitude of gratitude. And I kind of like that. That's a nice little of alliterative phrase to think about. But he already had this attitude of gratitude. What's interesting to point out about this one man who turned and went back is that he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. He was a foreigner is what Christ called him in the ESV version. Other versions call him an alien. Uh, not an alien as in from Mars or whatnot, but he's an alien to that land, to that country. More than likely, the other nine were Jews. That's not, that's not exactly, we don't know that for sure, but that's the parallel that a lot of, lot of uh, people like to make is here distinguishing this man from the others. It could be that there's other Samaritans involved and other nine that went. It doesn't really matter. But what we do know here is that it's specifically pointed out that this man was a Samaritan. So there were some others that were Jews. 
There was a mixture of the two that were involved in with respect to this. But he came back, showed his gratitude toward the Lord. He thanked him. He praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, gave him thanks. And, of course, then Christ, his reaction there is, hey, where's the other nine? Where's the other nine? I love Christ's reaction at the very end of this. He said to him, rise. Now, you've got to understand, this man was laid out prostrate. He fell at Jesus' feet. Christ looked down at him and he said, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is, I believe, something a little bit more than just physical healing here. It is, I believe, an implication of spiritual. And why do I say that? Well, there's some scriptures. We'll get to that as we uh, go through this point here. Thankfulness and, 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 and faithfulness and thankfulness, as you look at this here. We've already gone through a lot of these points as we've gone through the lessons. Uh, the challenges and the trials that we see in these two miracles of Christ deal with, of course, this disease, making them unclean. The leprosy itself... Uh, is defined, and look, if you look at Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, you're going to get a better idea probably of what we're talking about, about leprosy. Now, is that exactly what was occurring and what was against them here in these two parables in Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 17? More than likely. Now, I can't say that conclusively. If I, had, if I was a gambling man, which I'm not, by the way, you know, I put a pretty high wager the fact that these in the New Testament are the same kind of leprosy that's talked about in the Old Testament. Why? Because the effect on these individuals who were uh, infected with this disease is the same as the Old Testament. They were ostracized. They were cast out. Uh, the in, All indications here is they were not part of really being intermingled with humanity. The reason why I say there's a slim chance that it may not be the exact thing is the words that are used. In the Hebrew, there's a word used, and if you look in your handout, I'll put it in there. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Um, but there's a Hebrew word used in the Old Testament for leprosy or, or leper. And in the, in the New Testament, there's a, obviously a different word, uh, which is where we get, actually, lepros is the word in Greek. So you can kind of see where we get leprosy from uh, is that Greek kind of transliteration of that word. And so you see that word in the New Testament, but that word in the Greek is actually a broader word. It's, it's a word that could mean anything from uh, psoriasis, I guess, or was it psoriasis? Is that the kidney disease, kind of the itchy stuff? All the way to something that's a flesh-eating bacteria. I mean, so you've got this whole gamut of what this leprosy could be in the, in the New Testament. We're not really told what their symptoms are in the New Testament, so it's hard for me to say conclusively 100% that it's the same thing that is spoken about in Leviticus 13 and 14. But because of the effect, because of the condition, because of the situation of the men, I think it's fairly safe for us to say they're similar, if not the same. And so what you see in the New Testament is this leprosy likely affecting these individuals, these ten lepers and this one leprous man, are something that's very deadly to their skin, to their individuality. And the New Testament uh, doesn't give us the description, but the Old Testament does. And if you look in Leviticus 13 and 14, it's somewhat of a progressive skin disorder where it starts out splotchiness with, with spots and whatnot. It goes deeper. It can get much more uh, intense. If you look at the medical world today, and I did, told Monica last night I spent about an hour looking at leprosy, which I really did not intend to do, but it kind of got interesting. If you want to Google something, Google leprosy. First of all, you get some horrible pictures, just to let you know. I would not encourage, unless you, and as long as you're not fainting hard or fainting in your stomach, don't do it after dinner. But, you know, you Google leprosy, and you're going to see some pictures that just make your stomach turn. Uh, and most of that has to do with what they call leprosy today, which I think is a little bit more of a man-eating bacteria than maybe it was back then. But it may not be the same thing is what I'm saying. 
But if you look at the conditions and you look at what could occur to somebody, now, of course, in America, we don't, the United States is very blessed with uh, the medical you know, facilities we have. And if you go around this world, you're going to see drastic differences. If you've ever been to a third world country, or even if you watched it on National Geographic or whatever, you're going to see that they live in a very drastically different world. And even here in the Middle East, when, when Christ was involved here, is, is that, that's still an area that is not high with regard to medical care. And so the idea of them being cursed or diseased, uh, eat up, full of, which, by the way, the, 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 the leper in Mark chapter 1 talks about him being full of leprosy. It wasn't just kind of like a spot on him. It was full of it. It was called full-blown leprosy on him. You know, that kind of a disease was something that would not just make you ostracized physically because it's going to inhibit what you physically could do. It's going to affect you physically, makes you unclean spiritually, which is very interesting when you think about it. There are things that make that are unclean under the Mosaic law for those people. If you go by to the intention, the Lord probably, and again, I'm trying to speculate about the Lord's mind, which I don't like to do, but a lot of these things had to do with health, you know, to help, I believe, help make sure that these people had the healthy lifestyle and be able to survive and live. Uh, the idea of like pork being declared unclean. Why was that? Was that because that pigs are just unclean animals? Well, they're not very clean animals. But with respect to the bacteria and things like that, that could affect them back then before they had, we had other issues now, uh, being able to purify it, you know, it could really cause them problems. Same thing with a lot of other things, birds, they had carried diseases, those kind of things, considered unclean by God. Here, leprosy is considered an unclean condition of a person. Why? Probably because it's infectious. It could infect other individuals, so you need to exclude them and get them away from the, the masses and then the larger people to try and keep it under control. Does that mean it could never be healed? Well, more than likely from the, the impression that you see in the Bible is that it would almost take something supernatural. They didn't have medicines like we had. So I guess your body could fight it off like they could any other type of infection possibly, and you could possibly be healed because obviously there wouldn't be a provision for going back to the priest and being healed unless that was possible. That's the logic in that, that commandment. There's also the miraculous, though. You see miraculous uh, healings of leprosy and Moses, Miriam. Uh, King Uzziah tried to. He wanted to be healed miraculously, but instead he actually was punished by uh, leprosy and died uh, ultimately while still being leprous. Uh, you see Naaman, a great example, I think, of leprosy, of course, being cleansed. Uh, miraculously in the Old Testament. So there are conditions uh, and situations and stories that we know of of, of leprosy being cleansed, even uh, miraculously in the uh, Old Testament. But what was it specifically in the New Testament? Well, we don't know exactly, but we do know it made them unclean. And spiritually, as you look at the the text there, uh, being unclean, they would have to be uh, excluded. They would have to be kept out from uh, the the people. They would have to be... um, Kept at a distance. I think that's why you see in Luke chapter 17 when Christ was approaching them, that it says from a distance they called out. Why? Because they knew. They knew the law required them to be at a certain distance away from those who were unaffected, uninfected by uh, that disease. So you see them being at a disease. And they stood at a distance there. And you see the reason why. I think also the challenge and the trials that you see in this passage is, of course, are even those being grouped with the unbelieving Samaritans. I think it's interesting that Christ himself uh, alludes to this fact. The fact that the Samaritan is seen as being more of a pillar of faith than those of the Jewish faith. You know, that kind of reminds me of a, a parable, by the way. A parable, not a miracle. 
but a parable called the Good Samaritan, right? And we, we know that story where a Samaritan is used, a very unlikely hero of the story. Why? Because the Samaritan was seen as being despised, being rejected. He was somewhat of an outcast uh, because of his race, his nationality. And you see that a Samaritan, again, is used here by Christ as an example of faithfulness, of obedience, and is exalted above the other nine who just turned and went their way. They were still healed, by the way. I think that's interesting. It's not that Christ revoked the healing process that he had told him to do. They were still healed physically. But I think when this man returned, you almost see a spiritual healing that uh, may have occurred with respect to uh, this man who returned to him. Why do I say that? Well, the phrasing there with respect to uh, that Christ uses is used in another place, dealing with forgiveness of sins. But we'll get to that hopefully. Robert. That's a good point. Good point. Very good point with respect to that. There is a difference because of the religious background possibly. Now, we don't know if the Samaritan, he could have been a proselyte, a proselyte, I mean, um, with respect to being part of the Jews, even though he was Samaritan by nationality. Um, but you're right. I mean, there very well could have been a motivation that superseded any other rationale to make them go back to the priest. They had that kind of as... How many of us are like that? We got this very single-minded, hey, focus, you know, this is what we're going to do. We know that if we're cleansed, we've got to go to the priest first. That's what we're doing. We don't think about anything else. You know, maybe they were thankful after the fact. I hope they were. Uh, but you're right. You don't necessarily see them, uh, and it could be the, the fact of, of the difference in the situation. I, I'm not necessarily, I don't think, I guess a lot of my comments are coming off as I'm faulting them. Um, I don't necessarily fault them. I fault us more than anything. And I think this story gives us a, an example of something that we need to take to heart ourselves uh, with respect to a thankful attitude. I don't necessarily fault them. I think they had a base knowledge about who Christ was. And so therefore, you know, they knew this man could do miracles. And they asked him to do a miracle. And that may have been the basis of all their knowledge about who he was. And so you don't necessarily fault them, I don't think, for just rushing off and going to the priest and following after the law that they knew all their whole lives. I agree with that. But the Samaritan shows just something more, something different, something better. And I think it's very interesting the fact that it comes from a Samaritan and not a Jew. Robert. True. Right. 
Right. Now, the focus, and, and again, I think it goes back to there's nothing wrong with their focus. Because obviously they're complying with the law that is required of them. You have to understand that. At that time, the Mosaic law was what was over them at that time. They were eager to comply with that. So there's nothing wrong with what they did. But what we see, I think, in the Samaritan is a better way, a better mentality. And maybe, like you said, a better recognition. So in fact, they kind of recognize that this is something more. This isn't just that they were purified by this man. But it was a fact that this was, in fact, something miraculous, something much more than they would have ever imagined. And I agree with you, lack of knowledge is very important to understand here, is that they probably had a very base knowledge about who Christ was because they were ostracized outside of the the people. They probably heard word of mouth, probably from people like the first leper who couldn't keep his mouth shut when Christ told him to. But the fact that, hey, there's this man who, who can heal lepers. And so when they saw him and found out this is the man coming down the road, they, they had to call out to him with that loud voice. Robert? Great application. Great application. Yeah. Sometimes we're very misguided on who we give honor and glory to. Uh, we, we, we forget about God. Like these men kind of forgot about God as they went forward and as they uh, went through. And I, we obviously did not get through a lot of this. Um, I, I've said that I don't want to go through and um, finish anything else from the, the next week. So y'all look at the handouts. If you, if you didn't get a copy of it, let me know. Uh, but uh, I think the, the bottom line, baseline point of this is that we've got to be thankful in our lives, regardless of what situation we are in, the application to us, I think, is phenomenal. You know, do you live a life of thankfulness like the leper here that was healed? Or do you live a life that, that, that deals with the blessings that, that you've attained, maybe, and you forget about being thankful, like the nine did when they turned and went away? Or like the man who disobeyed God and just really didn't even do what God asked him to do after being healed? You know, you're dealing with this horrible disease these horrible effects in your life, and, and what do you do with it? How much more applicable is that to us today? We deal with the horrible state of sin in our lives. What do we do after we're cleansed from that sin? How do we live our lives after we have that purification? Do we truly go back and present ourselves to the high priest? By the way, the parallel of that would be Christ. He's our high priest. Do we present to him our lives and our dedicated service and say we're purified, we're changed? Do we go out and live a life that's a life of purity, of thankfulness? I would venture to guess, even from my own personal life. We don't do it all the time. We don't. And we've got to be challenged, I think, by the lepers here to to take a second look at our own lives, acknowledge our God, and thank our God for the things that we have on a daily basis, and think about those things that we may need to be cleaned and cleansed of spiritually in our minds and our hearts and those things that may affect us on a daily basis. Appreciate y'all's kind attention. If you didn't get a handout, let me know. I'll get you one uh, for that. See y'all next week. Friends and family day. We won't have class, obviously.